Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College offers the foundation for individuals seeking to blend creativity and practice so that graduates have the freedom to direct their skills and move the world forward. Its faculty takes a multidisciplinary approach to academic, professional, and social growth so that graduates have relentless optimism to navigate the changing environment. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Tanya Rashid, a journalist and filmmaker. Her work focuses on human rights and women's issues. She's reported for the PBS NewsHour, Al Jazeera English, CNN International, and Vice News. She talks about her unique perspective as a journalist and why she is so drawn to stories of struggle, especially by women. Tanya, you've had uh, an amazing career, but uh, tell us about your latest project that you've been working with with human rights. Um, so I just got back from the refugee camps on the Myanmar-Bangladesh border, and this time I have been investigating the environmental impacts of the crisis. And it happens to be that there are endangered elephants that have been affected, and their migration patterns have been completely disrupted by it. Um, there's a corridor that goes through Bangladesh into the Myanmar, into Myanmar, the country, and because there have been so many camps set up and trees cut down, thousands of acres of them, the elephants don't know where to go. So I have been looking into that, and um, the piece will come out in May. And it'll come out where, on PBS? On, uh, it will be on Al Jazeera English, Earthrise. You, you have many different outlets for your work. Freelance. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, is it commissioned, or do you choose, or is it a mixture of both? It's a mixture of both. In the beginning, I was certainly hustling a lot to get my name out there and pitching to different networks. But now that I've been in the industry for almost a decade, I've had a mixture of you know pitching to networks while networks also come to me. So it's been a good mix of both. And you're originally from Saudi Arabia, then went and lived in Bangladesh, and then went to Utah, which we'll get to <laughs> later. But but uh, I'm originally from Bang my family is Bangladeshi. My mother's Patan. She's ha part Afghan, and I happen to be born in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> Just happened to be born. <laughs> my there. dad had worked there. Yeah. But uh, your background and in, in how you grew up, how does that? influence the way you look at the region? I think growing up in different parts of the world and seeing different things have definitely impacted me in my storytelling. And also the fact that, you know, my mother, I grew up listening to Hindi and Urdu music and, and then Bengali folklore stories from my grandmother. Um, all of those things play a role. So now that when I do go into the field, there's... Um, I take a very nuanced approach to my storytelling where I use those skills I acquired from my childhood or the things I learned. 
Do you take any bias with you into the field? And if you do, how do you deal with that? I don't really take bias. I would say I handle things as a reporter. My, my strategy is a bit different. I handle things with empathy. And my passion has been for mostly human rights and women's issues and my storytelling. So when I go into the field, I always try to connect with my characters and on that level. Um, and they're usually stories that are difficult to access. Um, if, if it's a conservative Muslim community, oftentimes a white man journalist cannot get into that world. So I kind of have that niche that I've carved out for myself where I intentionally go into those communities because they're often not being heard. Do you see your work as purely um, journalistic or do you see it as advocacy or, or is there a, a difference in your mind? <clears throat> I do not think it's advocacy. I think it's it's I every story I do takes a lot of reporting and a lot of ethical decisions journalistically. But human rights are human rights. If a girl is being trafficked for sex, humanity comes in no matter what. So in my storytelling, I always try to look at the humanity in situations. So your your story on the elephants circling back to sure. to to that uh, you say it'll be out in, in May. Yes. You've accumulated everything. You're now in post-production. How, how yeah. would you characterize what you've done? So I was deep in the jungles of Bangladesh near the Myanmar border, uh, trekking for a few hours looking for wild elephants. And now I'm in the middle of Ohio, Athens. And yeah, my piece is in post-production. And the next step is to record voiceover and uh, there's a team of editors working on it, and it'll air. Yeah. How do you work with a team of editors? Do you give them specific instructions? Do you l- allow them to have some creativity in what they're doing? So in addition to my Al Jazeera piece, I'm actually working on a story for PBS NewsHour on the Rohingyas as well. And in that particular story, my role is a bit different. I um, actually, once I finish filming, so I generally produce my stories, then I host, and then I translate the footage. And once it's been translated, I sit with an editor, I build a script, and then we hash it through and, and we make a story. There have been times, though, where I was a one-woman shop and I had to do all of that by myself, but it becomes too cumbersome. So now I have... And too time-consuming, too. And very stressful, especially when you're working in hostile environments. Um, It's often difficult um, to do it all. But this industry is increasingly becoming that way. (laughs) I I would like to explore, if it's okay with you, uh, a little of your personal evolution through all of this. We mentioned uh, you were born in Saudi Arabia, uh, but... Uh, spent uh, later childhood in Bangladesh and then moved of all places to Utah. Um, how did that formulate your worldview or what impact did that have on your worldview? In dis- First of all, let's talk about that and then I want to go to the next step. Sure. So – You know, in Saudi Arabia, I had the first taste of segregation of what the difference is between a man and a woman. My mother couldn't drive. She wasn't allowed to learn even. She couldn't go out to the grocery store to do basic shopping without a male guardian. Her rights were very limited to living in the house like a prisoner. 
So I witnessed that growing up. And at a very young age, you think, why is it that my father has all this freedom and my mom can't do anything? And then we ended up in Bangladesh. And it was there, there was a lot of political, the political climate was very hostile. So I noticed a lot of that, the corruption, um, things going on that were unjust, and the level of poverty that I saw within the country really moved me too as a kid. And I remember as a kid, I would say, I want to talk to the prime minister, and I want to make change in you know my country and my people. And uh, so that's where that passion and grit came from. And then my, my grandmother was married off at 12. And there were at all, 12? At 12, yes. And so there are a lot of things, you know, that I witnessed within the female members of my family, a lot of suffering that at a very early age I was exposed to that really impacted me. Um, and then when I got to Utah, I didn't know that I was brown till I got to Utah because I was probably one of the few Muslim South Asian girls in school. I, I was going to say, you know, Utah, I know it's stereotypical, but it's white and it's Mormon. Yes, and so it was my first taste of racism. So then I experienced, you know, I saw sexism, I saw political hostility and crisis within the women in my family in Bangladesh, and then I come to Utah, and I don't speak a lick of English. And, um, oh, none. What you I didn't speak oh. any English. I learned English by watching Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street. Those were my saving grace. Good for PBS, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, that. And then I, I, you know, that's when I realized I was different. Um, and uh, so definitely, all those experiences shaped me to do the kinds of work I do today. But you seemed to. Um embrace that difference as opposed to feeling less than? That took years. You know, in the beginning of my life, I really struggled with my voice and feeling different and sometimes inadequate, like something was wrong with me. It was the moment that I embraced my imperfections that my life changed and I was able to take this next level into my career. Now, your undergraduate degree was not in journalism. Uh, It was in something totally different, correct? Yes, it was in global. I studied history and global studies. It's still part of your passion, but but not uh, from a journalistic side. And then you you got some internships, I understand, that were eye-opening to you. Uh, Tell us about that. Sure. So when I – well, now I was about to graduate from UCLA – I had an internship with Nightline ABC where I was exposed to traditional media format, which was interesting, but I still felt like stories weren't being told in my own voice. And then I had this amazing opportunity to intern at Current TV, which was Al Gore's global TV network. And it was before the YouTube era where, you know, journalists were encouraged to tell stories in their voice. And... I think my experience— Which was revolutionary sort of at the time. Totally. It was just a different ball game. And I think it was there that I was exposed to these amazing journalists like Mariana Wenzeler, Lisa Ling, um, Adam Yamaguchi. These are all amazing journalists that mentored me. And seeing them, I knew that I wanted to be like that, to tell stories in an unconventional, cutting-edge way. So you went sort of from traditional male-dominated nightline at ABC to current TV where you had a lot of freedom. Reporters had a lot of freedom to tell stories in in their own way and in their own voice. But 
did you also see women role models for you there for, yeah. for the first time? Yeah, so I met, um, I worked with this correspondent named Mariana Venzeller. She's actually uh, a reporter, investigative journalist for the National Geographic Channel. And she was just a huge inspiration to me. She spoke several languages. They did this brilliant documentary for their um, Peabody Award winning series um, that I interned and was part of. So watching them, being part of their process really inspired me to want to take it to the next level. And so then they were the ones who told me I should apply to Columbia's Graduate School of Journalism if I was really serious about taking my career to that next level. And I did. And, and, and they helped you do that. I yeah, think. they wrote, Mariana wrote my letter of recommendation. And so did Lisa Ling. I was very blessed to have people who believed in me and push me forward. But even when you got to Columbia, it wasn't a smooth ride. Um, yeah, I wanted to get into the documentary program. However, I continued to struggle with my English writing skills. So there were a lot of questions about whether I could um, actually excel in the documentary program. So I ended up doing two thesis projects, one print piece, and that print piece was what propelled me to get into the doc program. And I pushed myself to write the best damn thesis you can imagine. <laughs> I bet. And, uh, and I then, bet yeah. you had it proofread a million times <laughs> by people, right? And my master's advisor, June Cross, is an Emmy Award-winning documentarian who actually guided me through all that. And I don't think I would have gotten through it without her. So I'm really grateful to have her. So every step of the way, I've had these mentors who just kind of held me. Not a hel- hold. Sometimes they kick my butt. Did your documentary go smoothly or did you have to did you have to tweak it a little bit? It was a very difficult process because by the time I made it to the program, I was late and everyone had partners for their films. So generally you're partnered up with someone. I had to make my film all by myself. I shot, edited and produced all of it. And it was a film about my identity. I I saw your video that you did for Columbia. You did. And you indicated there that it was one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult thing that that you had to go through. It was. But that it was a turning point in your view of how you were going to proceed. Is, am I That's right with so that? That's so true. It was, um, it was there that I faced myself full circle. Um, that film about my identity – made me look at myself in ways I never thought before. Imagine sitting in an edit suite, reviewing footage over and over again of good experiences and even traumatic experiences. Um, That's like therapy on steroids. Yeah, it it was so intense. And, um, And I thought about going back and making that film public and redoing it but I don't think I'm th- I'm there yet but that's definitely crossed my mind but yeah that film changed me it brought things full circle and then I knew I needed to go abroad and report abroad because there was more to me that I wasn't looking into and that documentary that thesis project was that more moment. to you than you had been looking into you mean you started embracing your difference embracing your multilingual background, embracing your insight into this part of the world that you've been spending time in. How, it, describe that. I face sort of an existentialist crisis with my identity. It's this okay. feeling of not belonging anywhere. And I think a lot of immigrants can relate to that struggle, where in some places you feel you fit in, but then you know you can't completely fit in. 
And so in America, I had that full-on experience where I was embedded in the U.S. community, but I never fully did that in Bangladesh. So I knew that the missing link to resolving this existentialist crisis would be to move there. But it didn't resolve it. It made things more confusing, to be honest. <laughs> so you went back and tried to reintegrate into the environment that, that you left. And you did a lot of work there. Uh, I did. And, and really looked into some uh, really hot crises there. My purpose in life is to break cycles. And that comes from a personal place of having experienced things that were unjust and then also witnessing it within my family. Um, so when I went in there, it was one, an unreported area where reporters really don't like to. <laughs> I haven't seen very many reporters stay permanently and work, international reporters. And I had the language skills and I had a passion for breaking cycles and telling, reporting on stories that were not being covered by the mainstream media. So that fired up my belly and threw me over there. And had me uncover all those issues. And you you looked into sex trafficking, uh, just among other things. That was and, and sexual abuse. Yeah, I looked into child marriage. I did a story for Al Jazeera's flagship series, One One East. We did a twenty five minute film on child marriage, where a thirteen year old girl was married, being married off to a man that was much older than her. I did a story. I spent time in the largest mega brothel of South Asia um, for about a month where I reported on the sex workers. Which um, is one of the few Muslim brothels, uh, sort of sanctioned Muslim brothels. Is that correct? Yeah, it's interesting you know all this. Yes, it is. It indeed is. And I also did a story on gang rape, where I um, interviewed survivor, a survivor and also gang rapists who admit to doing it. Um, what else did I cover? Acid, survivors of acid attacks. Um, many issues, yeah. We'll be back after this message. This program is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Ohio University's online applied communication program offered by the renowned Scripps College of Communication is designed for associate degree graduates who want to further their education and advance their careers. It's been ranked first in the best online bachelor's in communication and public relations students before profits award 2015-2016 by nonprofit colleges online. In the program, you will study across multiple communication disciplines to gain understanding of how they work together and graduate with a Bachelor of Science in Communication in Applied Communication from the Scripps College. One of the premier colleges of its kind in the nation, the Scripps College of Communication, has been designated as a center of excellence by the state of Ohio. It is considered one of Ohio University's most distinguished programs by the Guide to 101 of Best Values in American Colleges and Universities. Read more about it at ohio.edu slash applied communication. These are sort of human issues not necessarily totally indigenous 
to that part of the world or that country, did you see these as transcendent issues? I think the story of human survival and the plight of human beings is a universal story. Pain is pain, and we all experience it to never, no, no matter what degree we go through it. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been a passion of mine to highlight those things. But that's not to say I didn't cover news. I did cover breaking news, and I've covered elections. I covered the largest in de- industrial disaster in human history, the Rana, Rana Plaza factory collapse. I was the breaking news reporter on the ground for that, for all just Thousands English. Thousands of people killed. Mostly young women, yes. And I was there for a month reporting on that. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I have done feature stories, but I've also known news as well. Um, there's a lot going on there. There is a lot going on there, but uh, that leads to my next question. Do you ever get frustrated, <clears throat> especially with... Western audiences and American audiences in particular, that most people just don't give a damn about that part of the world. Yeah. Uh, don't understand it, couldn't put it, place it on a map if, if they had to, and they don't care. Uh, does that frustrate you? I don't think it's that people don't care. I think people do care. I think that they are not exposed enough to these issues. The mainstream media needs to showcase and highlight stories like this more. And for me, as a journalist, because it's my passion, I fight tooth and nail to get these stories on air. But it, it's not an easy journey because the, the appetite for these kinds of stories are not embraced by big networks as it should be. Um, but I definitely think I think Americans. I mean, I'm traveling through middle middle America, mid, the Midwest, um, on speaking engagements. I'm being invited to diversity panels where people want to hear these stories. So I, I certainly think there is an appetite for it. It's just there needs to be more these. There needs to be more exposure. Well, you see these kinds of stories on Al Jazeera. You see them on uh, CNN International. Sometimes you see them uh, certainly on PBS. But you don't see them on the regular cable right. uh, channels or, or even so much on the network news uh, anymore. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, CNN International runs in Asia. The main CNN channel is mostly domestic stories. Um, and Al Jazeera also, I find, is more popular internationally than here. Here it's basic CNN, MSNBC. Um, right. Those networks. And they usually take, they don't really invest in internet. I haven't seen as much investment in international coverage, especially with what's going on with Trump. Um, there's been more of a push for domestic news than stories abroad. Are you ever wanting to go into points of conflict? You know, we had the conflict recently between India and Pakistan. Are, are you one who likes to follow? Uh, conflict of, of war kind of conflict or not? I I do I, I would consider my I don't know if it's politically correct to say but I am a conflict journalist I I mean I've also worked in the Democratic Republic of Congo where I looked to it looked into illegal gold mines and I saw a lot there as well I bet so I would say yeah I used to be much more uh <laughs> Excited and pushing forward on that kind of thing, but I the burnout is a real real factor when you're covering 
uh, very heavy issues. It does wear on you. So I, I, I'm still doing work like that, but um, I, I'm not as crazy about it as when I was younger, where I have to be there right now. Um, that kind of has subsided, and I'm working on more long-term impact stories. I know you're very passionate about issues, and we've talked about that. Once you tell a story and you move then on to another story, do you ever get frustrated that you're just the messenger (laughs) and you're never truly the agent of change? Wow. Yeah, it's a battle I deal with a lot. I do. I do feel that sometimes – I am a messenger, and I do I do see that I raise awareness, especially with some letters I get from fans and and people who watch my work, or even your students here mm-hmm. who are just lovely. Um, but I have seen direct impact as well. I did a film on the Surfer Girls of Bangladesh, and um, they were lacking a lot of funding, and my film really helped them with putting them on the map. Pamela Lee Anderson retweeted my film and, you know, it's it gets it gets out there in surprising ways, you know. I'm I'm sometimes very surprised about how how it impacts people, but it's not as straightforward where you see it right away. Right. That makes sense. So you're young and you've got a lifetime of storytelling. Oh, I don't uh, feel so young. <laughs> yeah, honest. By comparison, you are. Uh, so you see a lifetime ahead of you of storytelling. Uh, are you anxious to embrace new ways of telling stories uh, that that are different than just the straight documentary or the straight news package? Absolutely. I'm actually working on a book. I've been writing a memoir about my experiences. And I am also interested in um, – I've been teaching. So I found that sharing with students my experiences has been equally as rewarding. So I think, yeah, I'm definitely branching out into different areas to have impact. My goal is impact. How can I have impact in what I do? I always look at what media is going to be, and right now we have this uh, sort of movement towards virtual reality, and and that to me brings up all kinds of ethical issues on how you show something <laughs> realistically as opposed to just through the eyes of the the producer or the person capturing the the scene or the moment. But it brings me to the thought that Maybe this next generation coming up behind you is going to expect more of news information as a as an experience, Mm. as a feeling, as opposed to just watching something. That's so interesting you say that because I find that my storytelling has had that type of uh, vibe. You know, it's I'm, I'm intrepid. I immerse myself in my stories and environments. So I do sense that there is a palette for that, um, especially within the young generation. And I think Vice Media, Vice News, in some ways has revolutionized that that tactic of storytelling. Why, why is it so popular? Because it appeals to 
a younger audience or it approaches things differently? I think it's raw. It's honest. It's real. It's, it's not. It's not polished all the time. No, it's not. It can be really dirty, and you, people want to know what's going on. You know, beyond. You know, not every. You know, working in a brothel for a month is not glamorous, and there's no way I can do a stand-up looking prim and proper in it. People for sh- should see it for what it is. You know, it's a yeah. tough place, right. and people are suffering, and I'm there exposing it. And I'm not going to look pretty doing it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I don't care where you are. Yeah. It seems like more and more reporters are looking over their shoulders as to who's watching them, who's tracking them with their cell phones and, and other devices. Uh, you have to have an element of caution uh, about what you do. I, I try. I don't know if I am cautious. I have an element of caution. I Try to be, I believe in telling the truth. And that comes with risks. And I. It does come with risks. It definitely does. And I face them. But I will never compromise that for any government agency or body. Um, And that's the truth for a lot of journalists, I think. So, what's next for you? I'm teaching. I am a professor, uh, and I'm loving every where, second where, of it. Where is that? At Columbia? Shout out to Stony Brook University. Stony Brook, yes. I'm working with a talented group of um, professors there. And I also have two pieces coming out, one for Al Jazeera English Earthrise on the elephant migration crisis. Right. And also I'm working editing a piece for PBS NewsHour. I cannot say what it is about yet, but stay tuned. And that will be out, I think, in a in a month or so. And I'm working on my memoir, and I'm doing these speaking engagements. So <laughs> there's a lot going on. Do you, do you last question? Do do you have you went through a lot of struggles to get to the point of your journalistic perspective and your talent coming forward? Do you see promise in the young people? behind you, the young people that you're teaching, because a lot of people say, well, they're, they're frivolous, they're, they're techno junkies, they, they don't have an attention span, they, they don't care ab- about anything. I have my perspective, but what's yours? I think they have a certain set of skill sets that we or I don't have. They certainly are tuned into um, a generation in which they consume news differently from previous folks. And I think that's a strength. But I think what I can bring is strong ethics and storytelling and training them to be good reporters in the field um, while also learning. I mean, I'm learning from them, learning about how they do it, um, how they consume the news. Um, I think it's an opportunity. And that's why I'm doing it, because I want to give the baton to the future and have them continue this um, because it's, it's, it's never ending. There's so many stories that need to be uncovered. You really see it as a two-way street then. Absolutely. It's been a delight. Oh, wow. What an honor. That was you. a fun interview. That <laughs> so, was so, and such great questions. Thank you. Today, we've been talking with freelance journalist Tanya Rashid about her work focusing on human rights and women's issues. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. 
Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available at the NPR Podcast directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your podcast outlets. Also, WOUB Public Media has launched a brand new podcast called Lifespan. Episode 8 will be released shortly. It focuses on racism in medicine with a special emphasis on medical students. On Lifespan, you'll hear stories about encounters with the healthcare system. Each show contains stories bound by a common theme. Subscribe to this new podcast. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or at the NPR Podcast Directory.